Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Genesis chapter 2, we're looking at the question of providence throughout the fall. Why are we here? Where did we come from? What is life all about? And today, as we look at the second part of Genesis 2, we look at not only the creation of man, but the covenant of marriage, the covenant of marriage. We learn much in Genesis chapter 2, and, and maybe more than any other single chapter in the Bible, surely more than any other single chapter in the Bible, this chapter provides for us this answer to the question of providence. It's God's created intention for us in the very way with which he created us. We were reminded last week that Genesis 2 is not a second account of creation, nor a separate account of creation, but a further unveiling, revealing of what God has done in creation. More detail because of God's divine will for Creation And last week we began to look at the idea that God created man as his steward on the earth and then blessed him to thrive for glory. So we looked at the Adam of creation. We looked at the abundance of provision. And we looked at the authority for service. We talked about how God created man in his image and likeness in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 formed him and breathed life into him. These were the first three of four creational distinctives that we uh, looked at and I don't know what's happening on the screen right now but I guarantee you it's interesting because I just did all of those completely out of order. Sorry Judy. (laughs) And then we looked at the value, the theology, foundational theology of our work for our life. Well, today we're going to move to the fourth creational distinctive. These distinctives outline God's design for us. And when he set man on the earth as his steward, as Genesis 2 shows us, he begins to reveal a, a function of operation as that steward. And the reason that God does this, we see in Scripture, is because as goes the steward, so goes the stewardship. In other words, the way we steward our life and what we produce from our life will be directly dependent upon the way we live our life. And God designed creation to flourish as man, in partnership with God, serves his ordained role in creation. And so today I want to move to the fourth distinctive of abiding intimacy. Abiding intimacy. And look at verses 18 through 25. And, I, and I'll confess before we even begin, uh, maybe my most favorite passage of Scripture in all of the Scriptures Hopefully, I won't get too descriptive by the end of it. Verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. 
Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. This fourth distinctive begins with the declaration from God about man, and it's one that we've not yet seen and is not recorded as of yet. It stands in stark contrast to everything else that God has said about all the other days of creation. On every other day of creation, God looked at what he created and he said, what? It was so, it is good. But he looked at man when he created Adam and he said, it is not good. It is not good that he would be alone. You see, God created man for community. Not, not the buzzword that we so quickly uh, uh, cap, capture onto in our day and time today. But genuine community that flows out of communion with God into real relationship with one another. God did not create us for aloneness nor for isolation. And that is where he finds Adam in this verse. But God gives a solution to the problem. God is never one to identify a problem and not provide already a solution. As a matter of fact, he's identifying the problem for us, not for himself, so that we might understand what he is doing. You see, friends, he says that I will make him a helper fit for him. This is God's response, his solution to the problem. And friends, it, it reminds us from the very beginning that marriage is never what we want to make it. Marriage is God's creational order and design. It's not what we deem it to be or determine for it to be. Marriage is what God made it. God answers Adam's aloneness by creating a helper fit for Adam. You see, we saw God's created intention for man by his design. Now we see God's design and intention for marriage by his response to Adam's aloneness, his solution. And what I want us to see today is that God establishes marriage as a supreme relationship of creation in order to glorify him in abiding intimacy. That, that God is establishing marriage in creation, it is a creational order, a creational command. It brings honor and glory to God in the very way that he created us. And he designed it that we might bring glory to him 
Not by perseverance within, but by abiding intimacy through marriage. Today we're going to look at three aspects of abiding intimacy. Or you could also say three aspects of the marriage covenant. This is foundation for all relationships, for all of community, by by introducing this supreme relationship. It doesn't encompass all relationships, but this becomes the standard, the high apex of all relationships, the supreme relationship in all of creation. As a matter of fact, Paul will later say of marriage that it is the marriage bed that is the highest and the holiest altar in all of creation. Why? Because that intimacy that is enjoyed is of great not only pleasure for man, but glory to God and the enjoyment of the covenant. You see, God's answer to Adam's aloneness, the scripture says, is a helper fit. Literally one that corresponds to Adam. If you go back and look in chapter 1, and, and, and I emphasize this as we walk through chapter 1, but when God created the creatures and the animals and, and all of the things that creepeth and crawleth upon the face of the earth, each was created according to its kind. And one of the things that we haven't seen yet is there was no kind created according to Adam. But that's what's taking place here. A helper that is fit for him. In my opinion, this title, helper fit, or as I learned it in the New International Version before the English Standard Version was, uh, came into being, uh, and really it's the way I prefer to refer to it, is suitable helpmate. Suitable helpmate. We'll talk about that a little more. But in my opinion, second only to the names for God, Helper fit or suitable helpmate is the most important description in the whole Bible. Why? Because the way we live our life here on this earth says more about what we believe about the one who created us and put us here than it does about us or about anything else in the reality of this world. The way we live our lives, friends, specifically pertaining to the relationship of marriage states more about what we believe about God than it does about what we believe about other people and even creation itself when we understand what God is doing in creation when he ordains and establishes this supreme relationship of marriage. God ordered all creation with a single relationship. A woman for a man. Helper fit is God's design for relationship between man and woman. Now, that term for helper there, we need to understand that because it can be, uh, it can be understood in a number of ways, but it shouldn't be. It is not inferring in any way a lesser or subordinate being, but rather one who is the completer the completer. It is most used in reference to Yahweh and the way that he helps Israel throughout the Old Testament. So the word that is used here is actually a word that's also used for covenant God as the helper of his people. 
And no one looks at God and says, well, he's in some way subordinate to his people or lesser in value or worth. No, he is in every way the one who comes and completes his will by providing his being, his strength to the people for whom he has created for himself. And then that second term, fit, that literally means according to or corresponding to what is in front of him. That's literally what the word means, corresponding to that which is in front of him or his front. What God creates corresponds to his creation in Adam. It's not superior, it's not inferior, but it is equal in its correspondence to Literally, the pieces fit together like they were intended to. That's what, that's what the author is saying here with fit. That, that, that it's not forced, it's not coerced, it's not fabricated, but it is fitted together like it was intended to. You see, friends, helper fit establishes that heterosexuality is God's only design and will for marriage. That's what the Hebrew language is saying to us here. But it tells us far more than only this. You see, helper fit, its description, its title, means that it was, they were created distinct, yet they were equal. Not identical, but equal. They were created corresponding to and complementary with. This is the defining description of the marriage relationship between a man and a, mo- a woman. They are not created to compete with one another for victory over the other, but rather to work together for glory alongside each other. And each are uniquely designed for the other. To satisfy that longing for companionship, relationship, to to obey God's command and procreate together, to, to walk together in relational wholeness with one another, and to answer the aloneness by laboring with one another for one another in order to build an abiding intimacy in the relationship. You see, helper fit is God's will for humanity to know his plan for our deepest longing for an intimacy that is abiding. Now, our understanding is made even greater by how God introduces this to Adam. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean this, that in the exercise of his creational stewardship, what does God have him doing? He says, sit down there, Adam. You're going to name every animal. See, God could have named the animals. He he didn't need Adam to do this. He chose Adam to do this. And this is important because he wanted to train him in in this creational stewardship. And, and, And there's even a deeper purpose for why he had him do this. And so in the process of of naming uh, um, every animal, it says, verse 19, out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And that's a whole interesting study in and of itself. What were you thinking, Adam, in some points, right? 
Whatever the man called every living creature, verse 19, that was its name. Verse 20, the man gave, name, gave names to all livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. I mean, you can hear it elongating, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. He discovers something in the midst of this, that everything has its own kind that corresponds, but for Adam... There was no corresponding partner. And let's be honest. Let's be painfully honest for just a moment. It took every living creature for Adam to recognize that there was no helper fit for him. Adam didn't get it after the first couple and then just finished because the job wasn't done. Every living creature passed in front of Adam before he came to the conclusion, well, there's not one for me, right? And, and, and now I know some of you ladies are thinking, you just keep preaching right here, pastor. Amen to that. I know it all too well. Just takes too long. But, but I want to offer one friendly opportunity in this exchange to propose a second question. Why would you expect any different today? We'll get to it. Just give us some time. At the end of every living creature, Adam came to this deep reality about himself. He was alone. He was alone. I don't know how he felt about it. I would guess there were probably a few feelings that tried to creep their way in. But in that initial true manhood, I would also imagine that he managed to shake them off and move on, ignore them, suppress them, put them down. That's a joke. Once Adam recognizes his aloneness, it tells us that God performs the first surgery. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He removed a rib and he closed its place with flesh. And with that rib, it says he made woman and brought her to the man. Now, Adam was formed from the earth. Eve was formed from the rib of man. Adam was placed in the garden. Eve was brought to the man in the garden. This tells not what God had already stated, that both were created in his image and equal, but in the way he created them, there is an order to the operation that we will see. There is an, an understanding to the distinction, to their purpose, and to their plan for man and woman. The relationship is one of corresponding complementarity. And this is the first commitment and the first priority that Adam is to have among all of the creation that he has seen. There is a relationship that is superior to all others. You see, friends, God's plan for man and woman is that they were fitted together to work together for glory in this supreme relationship of creation. Matthew Henry and old commentator, but still one of the most viable and effective, said this, She was not made out of the head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, 
but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. God created man and woman to complement each other in a corresponding relationship for abiding intimacy. Now Genesis sets the marriage relationship as the cornerstone of all and every relational institution in creation for not only community but for society at large. And not only is it that the cornerstone, but it is held as the first and the most important and the originating relationship from which all others begin. It is important for us to understand not only what God is teaching, but in the establishment of what he created, to understand later, as we will see actually in the very next chapters when it begins, what God did not ordain in this. For clarity and for faithfulness sake, we must also state this in response to understanding God's creation of the marriage covenant, that man does not correspond to man. Nor does woman correspond to woman. Man is not fitted for women, nor is a woman fitted for men. When God gave a helper fit, he created a woman for Adam and brought her to him. This directly refutes some of the immoral expressions that have developed throughout the ages. God did not ordain fornication. He did not allow for adultery, for sodomy, for polygamy, for homosexuality, for bestiality, for pedophilia, and the endless list of sexually immoral expressions that sin has led us to create in our own will. From the beginning, God created a man and a woman to live in the marriage covenant for a lifetime. That's what Genesis 2 is teaching us here. Now, the second aspect of the marriage covenant I want us to see today for abiding intimacy is what, what, what Adam says in response to this creation of God. Verse 23, it's a small verse, but it's so packed and potent. We see a happy receiving of God's gift in marriage. So, whereas in the beginning we see a helper fit as God's design for marriage, here we see a happy receiving of God's gift of that design in marriage. This, at last, Adam says. It's a big woohoo! That's what he's doing. I mean, finally, every beast of the field had passed in front of him in his naming, but this is different than everything that's come before. You see, this at last is not Adam's exhaustion out of frustration, but by the hard work that he has entailed himself in, it is the culmination, the apex of a glory of accomplishment by the horizon of a new height that has been reached. This creation is not like any other that has passed before my eyes. 
This creation is unique and it is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is the answer to that longing, dissatisfaction, and alonement. This is the answer to that desire for intimacy as God has created for us and us for. Adam said, she was made for me. She is made like me. Friends, I tell you, it would be embarrassing for me to fully articulate and illustrate all of the excitement that is pouring out of Adam at this moment in the words, this at last. He's rolling around on the ground. He's jumping up and down. He's going, yes, 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 yes. He knew how long it had taken him too, but he also knew he'd not found anything that corresponded to him. There is an age-old question that echoes in this verse. How did Adam know that Eve was the right one? How did he know? How did he know? I don't know that Adam knew. I'll be honest with you. Adam didn't go, well, you know, this is the one that I need to make a deeper commitment and sacrifice my whole life for. I need to give up all of my little hobbies. And I need to give up all of the little childish things that I've entailed myself in. All the little ways that I've self-served me so that I can die to self for this. That is not what Adam was thinking. As a matter of fact, I would wager, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I would wager there's no man that's ever thought that before God put the motivation in the heart before he put the command in the mind amen men you can amen me here you don't have to sit tight and quiet you can you can respond here I'll tell you how Adam knew it was the right one while obeying God don't miss that Adam was in the midst of obeying God in the stewardship of his creational command he was walking with God don't, don't miss that because when you fail to walk with God, you will fail to answer questions and to heed direction in the way God is leading you. But while obeying God, he acted on what he knew by receiving from God the gift of Eve for his own happiness and his own intimacy. Does that mean Adam was perfect? It absolutely does not mean that. However, he actually is perfect right here. This is the one picture of a perfect man and woman that we will ever see. The only picture of them. But that wasn't the point. Abiding intimacy, friends, is always and only found in the happy receiving of God's good gift in marriage. You see, so often we think we want intimacy and we think we have the answer for it. And we begin to walk along the path of our thinking instead of following God and obeying his command, simply receiving what he has brought to us and our wife. This at last, friends, this is how we are to receive our spouse in marriage. Man, I, I am speaking specifically to you today in this verse. This at last Cast for us a vision that, 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 that is a vision for our abiding intimacy in our marriage. It was not the rush of emotion and adrenaline from that first sight. 
Rather, it was the culmination of all the thrill channeled into a deep conviction and what became an immovable commitment within him. That it was a love so deep that was conjured up within him. There was no demand of sacrifice that would not be willingly and gladly offered for the gift of receiving of what God had brought to him. He said, I've seen God's design and I'm committing my whole life to her. Obedience to God's creational mandate becomes our sustaining strength of marriage in committing oneself by happily receiving the one that God gives to us. It's not about focusing on the sacrifice or even the command. It's about understanding the promise and receiving the gift that God has given to us in our wives. Now, here's the reality. Many grow dissatisfied in marriage. I'm not asking you to confess this in front of anybody today, but it's just true. I mean, life changes, does it not? And the marriage relationship changes. Thank, thank goodness it does. But, but, but it does change, and not always in, in healthy or, or good ways. Men and women alike. I mean, you begin to realize, like, you know, in, in our marriage, sometimes you, you never close your eyes anymore when, when we kiss. And there's just no tenderness like before in your fingertips. And, and you're trying hard not to show it, but baby, baby, I know it. You've lost that loving feeling. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That loving feeling. You've lost that loving feeling and now it's gone, gone gone whoa 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 <laughs> then you think baby baby I'd get down on my knees for you if you would only love me like you used to do we had a love a love a love you don't find every day so don't 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 let it slip away I know that is a very free and open interpretation of this is last, this at last. But I want you to know, friends, that that's what, that's what God is teaching us here about marriage. We so quickly get focused on our spouse and find every little inkling of what's wrong with them in the relationship. Where we throw our dirty clothes that we shouldn't and where we pile our piles that we didn't like or or how we stack the pillows. I mean, not that that's a problem with me. I'm just saying, marriage was never designed to be that. Mar marriage is, from the beginning, created to be this, this walking with God in obedience to Him and recognizing that, that this is the one He has given to me as a gift and this is for me a helper fit a suitable helpmate I, I know like personal experience I know I don't ask for help so for God to say this is a helper I got a problem with that from the very beginning not because I don't love my wife because I don't love God in the way I ought to love God we'll learn that in the next chapter And when I get to the point where I, I want to acknowledge that, that, that my wife is, 
is my helper. Then I want to argue with God that I don't like the way she's helping. It ain't right for me. And God said, actually, she's suitable. She's fit. See, God's not just fulfilling my desires in marriage. He's transforming me through my marriage. And the suitability, the fittedness that he has brought to me and my spouse is one of the very first means through which he brings his grace to change me in this life. That is an incomparably beautiful picture of marriage, friends. Unless your eyes are on something other than God. And then it is horrifically inconvenient and grotesquely irritating every instant that it strikes. Friends, there's only one way to get that love and feeling back correctly. And it's not about the feeling. As long as you look around, you'll always find something else with the eyes. But it will destroy the heart. Not because the object is bad, but because your heart is wandering, men. Wandering. God designed marriage to grow and to be strong by looking at and receiving your spouse as a gift from God for what God created her to be for you. This, at last, means that the marriage strengthens as we look at our spouse and acknowledge them as God's gift with gratitude to God and to them, regardless of how we feel in the midst of or about some situation, to receive the joy And the gladness and the happiness of God's goodness for us through them. Let me tell you what God said about this. Now this is good. This is good. And if there's any lightening or lessening in our hearts about our marriage today that says, I'm not sure this is good. Before you start listing all the reasons why, Look to Jesus. Recognize God's gift. And realize that any shadow or lack of goodness that is cast on that relationship is not from outside, but from what is taking place within. And go to the only one who can change the inner man, God himself. And beg him. Plead, do whatever you must to say, God, return to me the joy of this at last. And now the third answer. A helper fit. A happy receiving. A holy relationship that glorifies God through marriage. Verse 24 and 25 Therefore, it begins. See, the author here 
has shifted to help us not only from what God has said, but now what God is saying. This is timeless wisdom here. Verses 24 and 25 is the timeless, eternal wisdom of God that comes out of the teaching of his creation. And he establishes a holy relationship that glorifies God through marriage. Therefore tells us that the writers laid a foundation and now he's forming our understanding upon it. And what follows is an introduction to the covenant of marriage. Not a contractual agreement. Not just two parties uh, 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 coming to terms with each other. But entering into a, a covenant. This is the way God establishes marriage. As the supreme relationship and the cornerstone of six of society you see marriage forms a new family unit by what by leave and cleave look at verse 24 a man shall leave his father and mother that's where the marriage relationship begins the feeling in pursuit solidifies into a commitment of covenant you get that this at last Becomes, I'm out of here. I got something new to pursue. That's what he is telling us here. That the feeling in the pursuit solidifies, doesn't go away. It solidifies into the commitment. It doesn't matter what it requires of me. This is what God has for me. And so it's pursued. It's not about you never having feeling, but that the relationship is not formed by nor dependent solely on the feeling. Do you see that? A man shall leave. It means he takes on a full responsibility for himself and for his wife now. Whereas his mother and father once held that responsibility and he lived under it. Now he walks out from it. He leaves. He makes a separation. He makes a break from that. Not relationally, but responsibility As one coach said, I'm 40, I'm a man. But not really in the same spirit as which that was said. He says, you know what? I, whatever I have to do, I'm going to do it because of what God's given to me. And he takes responsibility for himself. That's what it means that he shall leave. And in his leaving, he cleaves. He holds fast in the forming of a new family unit. I'm not only going to take responsibility for myself, but I'm going to let my name be on her bills too. I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to hold fast to her. There's going to be nothing that consumes my eyes that it might consume my mind or my heart more than her and her alone. That my whole life would be given in the pursuit of her and the holding fast to her as God's gift to me. And friends, while we will find out that the man doesn't hold all or only his responsibility, what he is doing here in the leaving and the holding fast is he is owning the first portion of it, the first principle of that responsibility. You see, the first aspect of covenant marriage is that a man shifts his primary allegiance to all his prior allegiances now to be consumed in one, his wife. There's not a familial relationship. There's not a friendly relationship prior to this one that holds a candle to this relationship now. 
doesn't mean you sever and never have anything to do with them. It means that they are now incomparable in your commitment. Friends, a wife is not a prize won nor a spoil taken. Those are both sinful perversions of this at last, a gift given. Proverbs tells us he who finds a wife finds a good thing. As a matter of fact, God calls a wife good more times than he calls anything else about creation good. And he obtains favor from the Lord. That word for favor is the word for grace. I hope I'm repainting any imagery that remains in your heart or your mind about your spouse that is in some way negative and not glorious altogether. Man holds fast to his wife because she is the object of all of his priority, all of his love, all of his life, all of his energy, and all of his attention. Marriage forms the creation of a new family before God. Something new of its kind. In marriage, it tells us as it continues, they shall become one flesh. In marriage, God forms a new one by his work. A new one. The sexual union consummates what God effectuates. God is the maker of one, not our interaction. Our interaction, specifically sexual intimacy in the marriage relationship, consummates, it acknowledges, it receives and recognizes what God has already effectively accomplished. No, you don't cease to be an individual person, nor do you lose personal identity or value before God in marriage. But in the marriage relationship, you are now one with your spouse before God. It is a reality that a husband and a wife learn and strive to live in with a greater reality of the rest of their life. The rest of their life. The second aspect of the marriage covenant is that God makes a man and woman one as husband and wife. To live fully in the we reality as they learn to deny selfish me-centeredness. Finally, the marriage produces a new and describable glory in the intimacy between the two. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Nakedness is that state of complete exposure, absolute vulnerability, but completely absent of shame, of condemnation. Of guilt. Friends, this is a beyond beautiful, a glorious of incalculable worth description. And you go, well, it doesn't really describe the reality of my marriage. Friends, it's more of a vision for marriage than it may be a daily reality. Because this is the way God created it in a perfect existence. And this is what God wills for your life the pursuit of naked and unashamed. Here in its perfect state, it's a state of knowledge that only holds joy. Imagine this. If there was not even so much as the hint of an inkling of a negative inclination towards your spouse. I know. Entertain me here for a moment. Imagine this. They could absolutely do nothing wrong. (laughs) It's hard to even conceive but that's what it's telling us. Imagine, 
in Eden's garden, Adam and Eve had zero, zero lack of being known. That's what it's telling us here. There there was nothing within them that said, you know, I just feel like it's kind of incomplete. It it lacks something. It needs a little bit more here. No. It was all satisfaction. It was all completeness and contentment. And do you know why? Because they lived perfectly and completely known perfectly and completely known. Friends, let me tell you how abiding intimacy will come in your marriage. Abiding intimacy will not come in your marriage as you improve and correct all the insufficiencies and fallibilities of your spouse. That will never increase intimacy in your marriage. Though God will use you for that, that is not how intimacy will be built in your marriage. Intimacy will come in your marriage as you learn to live more and more completely vulnerable and absolutely open in every way in that relationship. Intimacy comes from vulnerability, not authenticity. Authenticity is the product. Vulnerability is the path. The third aspect of the marriage covenant is that aloneness is refused by building an ever-growing, ever-deepening all-consuming intimacy by vulnerability that glorifies God in the goodness it produces. God established marriage as the supreme relationship of creation to glorify Him in abiding intimacy. Would you pray with me?